champions, Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. Everyone, hope you're enjoying your summer stick dog days of the NFL schedule. With Ruben Frank, I'm Dave Zinger. This is the Eagle Eye Podcast, a special one for you today. Joining us now on the Eagle Eye Podcast, we're happy to welcome him back, Merrill Reese. Merrill, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm excited about the, the upcoming season. There's still a little ways to go to training camp, but uh, this should be something. It should be. It's funny, Ruben and I were uh, talking not that long ago about this roster, and it's just about how much better it appears than recent seasons. What's your take on it when you look at the players they've brought in and, and at least what they have on paper right now? As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Dave, I, I think I said to you guys before the draft that the guy I most wanted was Jordan Davis. And that's who they got. I mean, that's the guy. And the thing that they got Jordan Davis and the Kobe Dean and then ended up with A.J. Brown to me was incredible. I, I can't remember a first day of a draft that went like that. Yeah, um, I, I still, I'm still not quite sure how N'Kobe Dean fell to the third round. Um, it seems like they just have more young talent than they've had in a long, long time. Uh, even in 17, when they when they won it all, it was an older veteran team, uh, and you know it wasn't really super sustainable. Although they did get to the playoffs the next couple of years, um, but when you look at this roster, I mean, it's been a long time since they've had so much young talent. Any of these young guys uh, that you're really excited about seeing in in camp? All of them, really, uh, as far as the draft choices are concerned. I mean, there there are guys uh, who you didn't expect or know a lot about, like the the their second pick. Uh, we we never thought that they were going to go for a center, but still, he he seems to have all of the credentials. Uh, there's one guy who who really whets my interest because I saw him so much in college, and and that is. Britton Covey. Uh, I watched him at Utah. I would actually, I would actually stay up late on a Saturday night game if Utah was playing to see Britton Covey, because he was remarkable. I mean, he was like the college version of one of these unbelievable returners that we've seen over the years in the National Football League. Now we don't know how his talent is going to translate, and he's, as Buddy used to say, a little bitty guy, but. Boy, is he explosive. I mean, he had, against big competition, he broke loose. He had two touchdowns against Ohio State. And this team has not had a threat like that since Darren Sproles. They really haven't. You remember what Buddy used to say about little itty-bitty running backs? Yeah. He was talking about running backs, but he said, we would always ask him, like, you know, how come you haven't got, given him any carries? You know, how come he never plays? Like, every year they'd have these – you know, Mark Higgs guys or, yeah. or you know, um, Robert Levette. Remember the Jet, Robert the Jet Levette? And mm -hmm. they never play. And Buddy said, 
you know, you guys like them itty bitty backs run around, look pretty, get killed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, but they have to hit him to get killed, you know, to kill him. But he's really small though. He, he's small, but he's so elusive. Nobody really. And now I, I don't know that he's going to fit in as a wide receiver. I mean, he's listed as a wide receiver. I think that's a long shot, but one of the things I can't wait to see in a preseason game is to watch him return. Now, preseason games are often, uh, they often inflate the return game because the 11 guys on the special teams unit and coverage are often bumping into each other. But still, I think you're going to see some excitement every time he steps on the field. And, and they tried it with Jeremy Bloom, and that didn't work. But this guy is such a pure returner. Yeah, he's fun. It's funny that two of the guys I'm most excited to watch in training camp are on the other side. You have Britton Covey down here, who's like 170 pounds, and then Jordan Davis, who's like 730 three. pounds. <laughs> yeah, so you kind of have that that uh, the juxtaposition there. You know, oh, speaking speaking of Jordan Davis, if I may just throw yeah. this out there, I I was so impressed with him at the mini at the at the OTA. Not about what he did on the field because that's I mean, that's just choreography as far as I'm concerned. And I already came in loving what I saw from him at the University of Georgia. But every time he stepped behind the, the microphone in our, in our reporter's tent, he seemed to exude so much poise, so much confidence, so much intelligence. He looks like such a great, a great sense of humor. He seems like such a great fit for this city. Yeah, he does. Ruben and I talked about it a while back, but I was in a weird position because I asked him about his weight after he was sitting up there talking about cannolis and all that. I was so impressed by how he handled that because he made it clear that this is his job now and he needs to, to really get all that stuff under control. Yeah, yeah, he really did. He handled that a lot better than Phil Mickelson handled all of the lid stuff yesterday. <laughs> Does does Jordan remind you his personality remind you of anybody? Uh, any- he, 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 well, you know, I I heard some I, I tweeted something on about Jordan Davis and about him being a fit the things I just said to you, and somebody said uh, he kind of reminds you as the next coming of, of Jerome Brown a little bit, but it, it, a little bit, but he's he's not the X rated version. That- <laughs> he's he's like the PG rated version of Jerome. He's a G-rooted version of Jerome. Yes. Yeah. But there's he I, that that struck me the first time we talked. Well, not not at the draft, but the first time we talked to him at the at the media tent. Just a little bit of Jerome in him. Just the, you know, fi- finding something. You know, just finding joy in everything around him and and that personality and um, being on all the time and and obviously the the physique. Um, yeah, it, just a little bit. That's probably an unfair comparison. I'm not talking about football. I'm just talking about. Uh, just the, the way he came across, but yeah, PG version of Jerome is. Yeah, is- I don't. I don't think you'll ever see a repeat of the day we were all at Westchester waiting for Jerome Brown to arrive to training camp, and all the mothers and children are out there, and all of a sudden you hear like a rattle, and it's Jerome's Bronco coming up the street, and he drives it onto the center of the lawn, and he gets out wearing fatigues and yells. Bleep Westchester and mothers are jumping, covering the kids' ears. I don't think you're going to see that from Jordan Davis. 
And all he had with him, well, if he goes to Smith Hall in Westchester, he's in trouble. <laughs> but uh, all Jerome had with him was uh, was a briefcase and a drum set that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was different. Yeah, but he was yeah he was one of a kind. Um, I think have you ever... Davis may turn out to be one of a kind too. Yeah, it's but, it's exciting. Uh, he he is. He's really exciting. It's really funny too because you have him who's this really lighthearted, funny guy. And then his teammate at Georgia who comes with him, the Kobe Dean is so serious and, and so professionally minded already. I think those two guys are going to be kind of fun together. Oh, I, I think they're going to be fun to watch on the field. I mean, I think this, this defense is instantly improved with, with guys who are impact players. I mean, let's face it. They were two of the best, most impactful players in the national championship defense. That's that, and you got both of them. I mean, there's another one or two in there too that that were also impacting Georgia's success. But they were two of the most dominant. How how often are you, like, are are your preseason kind of hunches about a team correct? Like, I think we all kind of felt like you know, there, there's been years we all felt they were going to be good. There's been years we all felt they were going to be bad. But are are you? Are you usually right? Like, are your intuitions about this team usually spot on? Uh, they they tend to be a little green, uh, <laughs> green. I'll, I'll I'll plead guilty of that because I I love the team, I love the sport, I love the job, I love everything about. It. However, somebody asked me the the other day, what are my projections for this year's team? And I think over the last hundred and twenty seasons, I have matured a little bit. And I don't project seasons anymore because no sport is the war of attrition that this one is, where I now project week by week. But, I mean, can any of us say who is going to line up for the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys on December 24th? I mean, what if Dak Prescott's out? It's a totally different game. What if Micah Parsons is out? What if Jordan Mailata is out? I mean, we... And, and the, the funny thing, Dave and Rube, is that when we went into that 2017 season, if somebody told us they were going to lose Jason Peters and somebody then told us they were going to lose Jordan Hicks and somebody then told us, well, they were also going to lose their punter, Caleb Sturgis. I mean, their kicker, Caleb Sturgis. And they were going to lose their best special teamer in Chris Maragos. And, and so on down the line, we would have said, this team is going to be lucky to to break 500. And yet they they brought in Jake Elliott, who turned out to save the season with the 61-yarder against the Giants. And then they shuffled around the offensive line, and things got better. And Alshon Jeffrey had a big season. And Nelson Aguilar, who was stumbling the year before, came back and played well. And then... If they had told us that Carson Wentz would go down against the Rams, and and when he did go down against the Rams, I thought all shots at going deep in the playoffs were over. And then Nick Foles comes in and played terribly, actually, on Christmas night against the Raiders. And then had a decent, decent game against the Giants, bad game against the Raiders, and they threw up. But then he came to life. He came to life in the second half against Atlanta. And from there on in, he was amazing. 
After that, after that first, uh, after that Raiders game, I, I got all these tweets from people that thought the Eagles should start uh, Nate Sudfeld in the playoffs. And, and they asked that he, Doug Peterson. It's it's one thing when you hear it from a fan, but but a reporter asked Doug Peterson at the next press conference, "Are you thinking of starting Nate Sudfeld?" And, and Doug just looked at him. He was incredulous. And uh, but uh, you know, to to the Eagles' credit, everybody came together. But that's why. When you say, and here we are in June, um, am I optimistic? Based on based on the roster they handed out of training camp, yeah, based on that. But again, it's a war of attrition in the National Football League. I'll tell you this: I am optimistic about the biggest controversy of the team and the the most central character, and that's Jalen Hurts. I like him. I think he's. I think he's got what it takes. I think. I think he's just going to get better and better. I think he's got the drive, the desire. I think he has the talent. And when people start criticizing him about reading defenses and the decisions that he makes, I say, wait a minute. I mean, if we look at Aaron Rodgers, maybe the greatest quarterback today, uh, he or Patrick Mahomes, but but one of those guys. But Aaron Rodgers. Don't forget that Aaron Rodgers was drafted by the Packers in 2005 and sat in 5, 6, and 7 before he actually came on the field in 2008 as a starter. Drew Brees wasn't instantly great in San Diego. He didn't become a future Hall of Famer until four years later when he ended up in New Orleans. So I'm looking at a kid who started 20 games, and there are people who are, who are already saying, the Eagles have to go find a quarterback, or he's not the quarterback of the future. I mean, he did some remarkable things last year. Yeah, he didn't have a very good playoff game, but neither did the, the, the whole team. But uh, I, I just think he's going to continue to grow, and I think his pure arm strength is underestimated by a lot of people. He can throw, and I've talked to Doug Peterson about this in the offseason. He can throw every pass that you have to throw, and he can throw it with zip. What I saw when he rolled to his right in Carolina and threw on a two-point conversion, and keep in mind that a football field is 53 and a third yards wide, and he threw a bullet to the other corner to Devontae Smith. I mean, it was a laser. When he threw that ball into coverage, into the smallest of windows to Greg Ward in that second Washington game, he did everything to show you he can throw that ball with a lot of velocity. I think he's going to be fun. I've been really impressed by his demeanor, too, because all those questions, at some level, I'm sure they bother him a little bit, but it doesn't seem like it, it bothers him to the extent that it would bother a lot of other kids his age. I mean, have you gotten that sense from him, too, that he's kind of just above all that criticism in a way? Yeah, yeah, I, I think he could be a little bit more um, uh, easygoing at the, and not that he's not that he loses his poise at the press conferences, uh, the media conferences, but he doesn't quite seem he's he's mechanical. He gives you a few words in a cloud of dust. He's not relaxed. He's not natural. He's not comfortable. I think comfortable is the is the best word to use. He's not comfortable at the media conference, the way that we saw from Jordan Davis. He was comfortable. He was really, he enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed him. 
he enjoyed the whole experience. You see somebody, I mean, oh my goodness, one of my favorite people, if not players of all time, Brandon Graham. When he sits down with us, I mean, it's just, it's such a pleasure. But but some players grow into that where they become more and more comfortable. Dawkins is a good example. B. Dawk early on was kind of reticent, kind of laid back. And, you know, several years later, he was he took command of a media conference. So uh, I think that's that's an area where uh, Jalen Hurts will grow. Yeah, I think Dave and I both agree with you. It's a matter of how much. I mean, I, look, he, he he's the youngest quarterback ever to take this franchise to the playoffs and um, in his first year as a starter. I mean, Randall, what year was Randall drafted? 85? And he wasn't even a full-time starter till 88. Yes. Uh, so, you know, there's and, – and went to the playoffs that year. There's so many stories like that that you shared about Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. There's not a lot of guys – and, and there are more today, I guess, than than ever. But who, from day one uh, of their rookie year, are playoff Pro Bowl type quarterbacks? You know, they, well, I think we agree that Josh Allen is one of the elite quarterbacks now, and his first twenty games weren't as good as Jalen Hurts. Yeah, yeah, and the kid is going to do everything he can. I mean, he's such a hard worker. Uh, he's going to get everything he can out of his ability. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So, oh yeah. And- and they've given him that they've given him a stable of receivers, and they're putting him up behind, if not the best, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yeah, I would expect those things and his own growth and being in the same system for a second year, which he's never had. uh, I think that's going to add up to significant improvement. I agree. I, I really do. The, wep- the weapons around him are fun. Uh, Merrill, when, when the Eagles traded for A.J. Brown, what was your initial reaction? Shocking. I mean, I, I was I was really shocked. I didn't see that coming. It came out of left field. I mean, there were some receivers out there that I thought they might go to uh, early in free agency. And, and right on down the line, they missed this one. They missed that one. and but But I never – expected that A.J. Brown was going to end up here. And, I mean, I just I, I just jumped off my seat. I couldn't believe it. It's a brilliant move. What, do you, what did you think of Nick's first uh, first year in the position? You, you've been – I guess you've been around nine head coaches, I think. Is, is it nine? I guess. Um, you came in with – did Start you come in with Dick or a year? 
No, I, I, I mean, I, I did pre and post game shows before, but as the play by play guy, uh, I came in with Dick. So yeah, so Dick Bill. and Swampy and Buddy and and Cotite and Ray and Andy. Marion. I said Swampy, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah, and, Swampy. Yeah. And um, Ray, and Andy, and then Doug, and then we he who shall not be named, and uh, <laughs> and he was my unfavorite. He, I, I know that. <laughs> That's been well documented. Um, who was your favorite? You had some good guys there, and and, and yeah. but yeah. And, I, and, I mean, to me, to me, the the greatest coach I've ever been around, the the greatest. And I I think if you go into a dictionary, and you you look up the word charisma, there's a great big picture of Dick Vermeil. I mean, the the fact that the effect that Dick Vermeil had in that locker room, the the effect that Dick Vermeil had on this entire city, was incredible, incredible. I mean, as a communicator, as a motivator, as an organizer, he was he was the best. But I, I do not minimize what Andy Reid accomplished and all of the games that he won more than any Eagles coach in history. And I certainly don't minimize the job that Doug Peterson did, where people criticized the hiring of Doug Peterson. And two years later, he held up the Lombardi Trophy. So I don't. I don't, I, they were all, all did amazing jobs, but um, listen, I love Buddy. I, I, I thought Buddy was great to get to know. I, I think that Buddy Ryan, I'm going to tell you three people who I think belong in the Hall of Fame. Buddy Ryan, Jim Johnson, and Bud Carson, but they belong in the Hall of Fame as defensive coordinators at what they did in the various career stops as defensive coaches. They are they are all brilliant men in their fields. They they were visionaries. They were they were people who put together amazing defenses. But be, but they were not they were not well Jim Johnson was never a head coach. Bud Carson was not successful in either of his two stops and Buddy Ryan never finished the job here. But boy was he fun to cover. But, yeah, but one of the me, most. You say, if, say number one, it's the guy going to the Hall of Fame this August. And it was good to see him at practice uh, last week. Oh, he's um, great. He, he was over there. Um, but you were you asking know, me about Nick. Yeah. Yeah, my 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 feeling about Nick. Yeah, you, you've been around him a year now. And, I, and I like him. I do. I do like him. I, it's hard not to like him. He's a regular guy. He's a regular guy, and I. I think he sets a nice tone in the building. I think that, that people like him. People are happy to go to work. I think he communicates well with his players. However, I'm going to tell you guys something, and I don't know if you agree, but I have less of a feel for the coaching, the coaching staff, the head coach, uh, and the players than I have at any other point in my career because I'm used to going down there and roaming around the building and going into the locker room and talking to the players in the locker room like you guys every day. And while there might be 15 guys around one player, I might be in the corner talking to a, a backup guard. Or, But getting to really know the players as people and getting to know the coaches 
actually talking to the coaches in the hall or uh, there were days when we used to be able to stand at a practice for a full practice, not, you know, now we get to see stretching and warmups and then they ask us all to leave the field, me included. And of course, add to that, that I had the advantage of being on the team playing from the first game of the preseason till the Super Bowl, if that were the case. Um, I haven't traveled now in two years. I would have a tough time identifying every player on that, you know, at the team that finished the season last year. Of course, not the rookies this year, but I'd have a tough time identifying each one of the players uh, by just their face uh, because I haven't, I haven't been in their presence. So it's difficult for me to assess the total effect of a coach, a head coach, with, uh, from afar, from afar. I will tell you that I think, I think that uh, as the season went on, uh, Nick became more and more eased with the media, more and more comfortable in the job. I think we think, talk about culture. I think he pre- presented this team with a, with a positive culture. I like his drive. I like his enthusiasm. I like a lot of things about him. But to judge him, I mean, this is, this is a different world, guys. I mean, there are 23 assistant coaches. I mean, there are not assistant coaches, but there are 23 coaches on this staff. 23 coaches. It's like, a, it's, it's like the head coach today is, is the corporate head and the people move around him. It's, it, is his effect the same? I mean, we go back to Dick Vermeil. I think Dick Vermeil had 10 or 11 assistants. It was different. It, it was t- the job is different. Every part of the job is different. And I don't know that the head coach, to, I, I do know. I do know. I can say this without any hesitation, and it's certainly not controversial. But we all know this, that the head coach today doesn't have near the control of personnel that that Andy did, that Dick did. I mean, Dick Peter, Dick Dick would turn to Carl Peterson and said, "Carl, go get me a punt returner." And, you know, and the next day, a punt returner would be in the building. I mean, the the head coach today, with very few exceptions, uh, I would think Andy is up there. Uh, certainly, Belichick gets whatever Belichick wants. And I'm not sure that I'm not saying that that. Um, somebody like Nick doesn't have input or doesn't have the ability to tell uh, the personnel people and the Howie what he feels he needs and, and isn't given consideration. But I'm saying that the head coach in the National Football League today doesn't have anywhere near the personnel power that Dick Vermeil did and some of the subsequent coaches who have made their mark. Yeah, I think that's fair. The the one thing I have noticed, you mentioned it about Nick, is that he's kind of a a regular guy. Yeah, he is. And I think it would be really tough if we had gone through last year with a different head coach because he made himself available to us when I'm not sure a lot of coaches would have to the extent that him and his coaching staff had. So I, I think that's been good. I want to ask, and yeah. you know what we did? We laughed at him. We laughed at him when he came up with the flower and the tree and all that stuff, and he never took he he never he he never showed anger. He never showed impatience. He never 
He never got nasty. He never, he never, you know, he took the punches and came back with a smile. Yeah. And even when things worked out, he could have rubbed it in everyone's face and he he kind of left it off. He never did. Yeah. I want to get your take on, on Jonathan Gannon because he's the other kind of a, a important coach on this staff. He took, speaking about taking heat, I mean, he took a lot last year. And, and he and he was poised and cool and nice. I he mean, he never he never got nasty either. Uh, Jonathan Gannon was impossible to judge last year because there were too many holes in the defense. I think with the additions this year, and we we will get a much better uh, uh, stance, a much better view of what Gannon, Jonathan Gannon is all about. Uh, he has the reputation of being very, very bright. I know he is very, very driven. A lot of people are convinced that he will be a head coach in the not too distant distant future. So I think I think we have to watch him and put him under the microscope this year. Uh, but I I do like him. Yeah, I think a lot of that was was really unfair. I mean, I, I said on this podcast not too long ago, Jim Johnson's first defense in 99, and he had some great players. I mean, he had Bobby Taylor and Dawk and Troy Vincent and Hugh Douglas. Um, they were ranked 23rd in the league. Yeah. You know, it takes time for uh, a coach to put his, you know, put his, his scheme in and teach it and get the guys to follow along. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. despite all that, they were still a top 10 defense last year. They had some good moments. So um, I, I'm really curious to see what he can do with – uh, all the reinforcements that that how he gave them. Yeah, me too, me too. And and then the the last piece was bringing in Bradbury. I mean, that's that's terrific. You have Slay and you have Bradbury. That's that's a good that's a good pair of corners there, and they have a good third in Avante Maddox. So they're, you know, there are listen, there are depth issues, but I don't think you take the Super Bowl champion Rams. I I don't. You could take any team in the league. And nobody has depth in all area because the salary cap would never permit it. Yeah, most definitely. I think you know people say, well, the safeties, they you know Anthony Harris and and uh, and Marcus Epps. Every team has a couple positions like that that you don't have, you know. And, and that's, I mean, that's how guys make a name for themselves. They they get better, and if they don't, put someone else in there. But um, they're really solid. And and Dave and I were talking about this on the last podcast. I mean, other than other than safety, I mean, they're they've got established guys everywhere, and they're not. It's not like you know older veteran guys that they scraped off the you know waiver wire. They're, they're like guys in their prime, and yeah, we we could be nitpicking. I mean, just to nitpick, I, and this is not to say that I didn't think Aaron Sippus did a good job, but I think they need to bring in a second punter to training camp uh, just to create a competitive atmosphere. And and I always used to see them bring in two kickers and two punters. I mean, Jake Elliott had a great season, but it wouldn't hurt to bring in another kicker just to watch him so that if there is an injury, somebody might be out there. Uh, it, I just I just bring in a little more of certain positions, but that's that's really being nitpicky. I mean, I think that Sippus, with late in the season, he faltered a little bit, but he did a good job. Well, there's a guy whose picture's right behind you. I think I, I see uh, Sean Landetta's name <laughs> there. Right. So I, I'm, I, he, I saw Sean not too long ago. He's pretty uh, pretty fit. I think he could probably he's probably good for maybe 12 games. John Harbaugh told me that that Sean Landetta had the greatest leg speed that he has ever seen. 
that that stroke was, he's never seen anything like it. And it served him well for 22 years. Incredible. Plus a few USFL seasons. Um, yeah, he's, he's one of my favorite guys. He, we should have him on the podcast because he is the best storyteller. I mean, he's, Landetta, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Great he story. He comes up here to the office fairly often and we'll go out and have lunch. Oh, that's great. Yeah. He's, uh, he still lives up there, right? He lives up. Yeah. He, he's in Bucks County. Yeah. I'm, I'm um, obviously talking to you from my office at WBCB. Yeah. I'm a former employee. I think, <laughs> I think it's some, you, some, you and Mark Eckle. Yeah. Some strange, uh, definition of the word employee. Yeah. Um, what, um, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask a couple of things about, like, we know about your career and everything. You're going to your 47th year. 46. Which, for, 46th? Well, 47th, including the year you did, uh, oh, you did color, right? No, the 46. That was 1977. So if you count them out, and I and I okay. ended up doing play by play, the last two games. So if you count them out, this will be forty six. Okay, forty six. My bad. I'm sorry. I gave you an extra it's year. Okay. Um, That's year. You have as much enthusiasm and energy and um, you know uh, passion for the job now as uh, I'm guessing year one. I wasn't around quite yet in year one. I was there about year ten or eleven. Um, do you feel that way? Do you feel as much? I mean, are you like when opening day rolls around or the first day of training camp, first game, are you as energized as ever? Um, there's no place in the world I would rather be and no, nothing in the world I would rather do. I, I love it as much as I have ever loved it. Um, I am just as nervous before the first preseason game as I would be before the Super Bowl. I am still nervous every Sunday morning that I get up to do a game or really? Monday or Thursday or whatever day it is. Tuesday. And I, don't, I, I can't eat once I get to – you guys will be in the in the cafeteria. Uh, I will be in there just chatting for a while, but there will be – no. I, I'll drink a couple of sodas, but that's about it. I eat – Cindy makes me a big pack of, a stack of pancakes to hold me over because I couldn't put anything in my stomach. Now, Mike – Mike comes to the stadium and he eats right through the game. <laughs> he comes back at halftime. It doesn't, nothing bothers him. But I'm, I'm a nervous wreck until Joe McPeak cues me and I come on with the game and then it all goes away and I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a zone for the next three and a half hours. So, yes, Ruben, to answer your question, I love it as much as I ever have and I never want to leave. I love it. <laughs> Uh, Mike, you're going into your 25th year with Mike. Is that right? I think it's 25th. Eight, 98, right? Yeah. I had another great thrill the other day. Do you want to hear about that? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I'm a great golf fan. and the Please, United yeah, I'm, I'm a great golfer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a great golfer, but I'm a, I'm a passionate golfer, and I can play. And uh, the United States played. Great Britain and Ireland in the Curtis Cup, which is competition with the eight greatest U.S. amateur women against the greatest eight in of Great Britain and Ireland. And um, Marion Golf Club, of which I'm proud to be a member, asked me to be the first tee announcer for the final round. So I stood out there and I introduced the players and introduced them as they came to the tee and got to say, play away, please. And it was it was a great, great thrill. As nervous as you are for just as nervous as as you could be until the first words came out of my mouth. I think you should do that at the link on opening day in September. (laughs) 
Yeah. Right <laughs> away, Jalen. <laughs> I'll, I'll say if they tell me right before game time, I'll say, play away, please. <laughs> hey, Merle, I have a question for you. This is kind of a silly one, but names. We've had some tricky names here in the past. What are some that gave you the, the biggest struggle and that you really had to kind of practice and, and perfect to make sure you wouldn't mess them up? I mean, probably most recently, Halapuli Vati Vaitai. Um, took me a while to get to say Halapuli Vati Vaitai. Ruben and I can remember Junior Tanalatasi. Junior Smith. Uh, buddy called him Junior Smith. <laughs> um, there were, I mean, there were, but you know what? You can still, you can still blow names. Crazy thing. It, it, it doesn't matter how often you do this. Crazy things come out of your mouth when you least expect them. And it's, it's not that you're growing old because, believe me, I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of being up there, but I will tell you that I can memorize a roster in 15 minutes the same way I always did. I have a photographic memory, and I could, things just stick. But, but when a game, game gets a little bit, you, you've got to really, I don't know, when, it, when a game gets out of hand or it's not going well, Sometimes your concentration, if you're not careful, your concentration can wane. And so the Eagles were playing the Bucks in the playoff game, and uh, Giovanni Bernard came in the game. And he did something, and it's late in the game, and, and the Eagles are out of it. And I uh, carried the ball, and I, without realizing it, I called him Christian Bernard. And my quick looked over at me, who is Christian Bernard? Well, <laughs> Christian Bernard was the South African doctor who was the first person to ever perform a successful heart transplant. That was definitely not this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that's what came out of my mouth. I felt like an idiot. I mean, but, <laughs> but, but these, these things can happen if you're, if you're not careful. So, so that you, you just have to be sure that you're right there all the time and that you are concentrating on every single play, even if the game is 80 to nothing. Well, Dave will tell you how many times I've called, uh, Hassan Reddick, Hassan Ridgeway so far, <laughs> like three times. He, he's an interesting addition. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could really change the dynamic of that defense. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, hey, did Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the pass rush ought to really be upgraded this year. Yeah, and, and a good a good bit of that comes from the push up the middle. I mean, Jerome wasn't a sack master, but Bud Carson talking about Bud Carson once said to me that that the success that Reggie and Clyde Clyde Simmons and Reggie White had in getting to the quarterback was really a lot of that had to do with, yeah, Reggie was an amazing player and Clyde was quite good, but the push that Jerome gave it up the middle. And I think that's going to inflate the sack numbers. Yeah, no doubt. My favorite Bud Carson stat is, you know, the, the, the 91 Eagles allowed uh, 221 yards per game over the full season. Bud was a defensive coordinator. Um, that's the fewest yards per game ever allowed in a 16-game season to this day, or 17-game season per game. Yeah. And it's actually the fewest since the 78 Steelers allowed. I think it's like 209. Both teams coached by Bud Carson, both defenses. Ruben, was there ever a defense that was number one 
they were number one against the run, number one against the pass, number one overall. Um, I, I think that's been done since. Dave would know that. I'll, I'll look that up. I think that's been done. But, but yeah, but that's what Bud's did, defense did. Boy, 91. Yeah. Well, he, he was special. Yeah, he was. Um, did you have by any chance? I'm going to change, to, totally change gears here. Did you by any chance have a chance to see the 110 meter hurdles at the uh, U.S. Grand Prix track meet in New York on, uh, on Sunday and Devin Allen running the third fastest time in history? Well, actually, as I said, I was at the Curtis Cup at Marion. So I did. Oh, right. It, but I, but I heard all about it. He's I'm sure you gave you it. Yeah. I mean, it would be, I mean, Dave and I both agree it's still a long shot for him to, you know, make the team. But his speed is, I mean, it's world class. He has played big time football. It's been a long time. Uh, what kind of chance do you give him to, you know, even just make the practice squad or be a returner or just kind of, it's a long I, shot. But it's it's a little, but see, as a kid, as a kid, I went out to Franklin Field. When the Eagles had signed a Villanova track star by the name of Frank Bud, Frank Bud from Asbury moniker, Park High School, the world's fastest human. He was the world's fastest human, and he used to run out for a pass, and there was nobody near him. He outran everybody, and Sonny Jurgensen used to throw the ball downfield, and it used to hit him in the head. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that Frank funny. Bud never played college football. I mean. <laughs> Nobody played high school football. Asbury Park. Grew up in yeah. West Long Branch. Yeah. So, but, and then we had uh, Ronaldo Nehemiah. Yeah. Who was, and then, and then the Eagles one time signed, um, um, John uh, Carlos. John Carlos uh, off of the, the controversial Olympics. Mexico but, uh, City. So, so the, these track stars hadn't worked out. But, but as you said, he's got a football background and maybe he will. Maybe he will. I mean, the Eagles tried Jeremy Bloom, as I said before, who was an Olympic ski champion, freestyle ski champion, and a great rep and, a, and a terrific rep uh, punt returner at Colorado, and he didn't make it. Yeah. Didn't come yeah. close. No. That's what makes Jordan Mailata such an amazing story. Like, yeah. Who's never played well, football. Can do you know what? In the first year I, he was here, I went up to Stout, and and let me tell you, there there's another great coach, Jeff Statlin. And I went up to Stout, and they said, how's Jordan doing? And he said, Merrill, it would be like me asking you to broadcast Sunday's game in French. <laughs> and, and I said, after I got through Bonjour, I would be in deep trouble. But, but you see, he's, he's unbelievable. He's this great physical specimen and great talent, but but what has made, made him what he is, he is so driven, and he loves this game so much, and he's put so much into it. It's a combination, great talent, great insides, and great coaching. Yeah. His ability to accept that coaching has been huge, because yeah. I don't think a lot of guys would have been able to frankly, put up with what Stout had to do to make him a good player. Yeah, but he he, he took it with a good humor. He's, he's so mentally strong, mm -hmm. emotionally strong. None of that stuff bothered him. I I don't think Carson Wentz could have withstood that kind of coaching. <laughs> no, And I like Carson. Yeah. Yeah. That's not to be mean. How do you think he'll play this year? Ruben, I don't know. We thought, a lot of people thought that Frank Reich could re-energize him 
and he, he didn't. He, he, he let them down at the worst time of the season. I think the biggest problem with, with Carson is he came in with all the ability in the world, and once he suffered that terrible, terrible leg injury, torn ACL, torn MCL, structural damage, he was never physically the same player, and he was reluctant to make the adjustments to his game. Other quarterbacks have lost some of their physical acumen, but they adjust. I thought he was. I thought he was stubborn. I know that. I. I don't think anybody gave Doug a greater, uh, more frustration week in and week out, because he just he was tough to coach. And I think that if Frank couldn't do it, I don't know that it's going to happen with the, the the commanders who have not commanded anybody yet. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's ex you exactly said what I've been saying. For it's like his body is telling him to become a different player, but he he won't do it. No, he won't do it. And uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. Although you know he might have a few good games here and there, yeah, here and there. But uh, as far as sustaining it and taking the team into the playoffs, I I just don't see it. Um, I hey, mean, I wanted to ask you. This is totally unrelated to anything we've talked about. Sure. When you were a little kid growing up. Was your voice deep, or did that come later? <laughs> I, I was just a little kid growing up, that's all. That was between, <laughs> between my freshman and sophomore year at Temple. I came back the next year, and over the summer, my voice was cracking. <laughs> and every four words, it was cracking and high and low and all over the place. And I came back to school with a different voice. That's, all. <laughs> that's what had changed. Yeah, I always wondered about that. That's pretty so, late. Yeah. No, as a little kid, I did commercials, and I was squeaky, like, like every other little kid. What was that? Did you do like that breakfast cereal? What was I, it? I, I did. Oh, Ranger Joe. <laughs> yeah. Ranger Joe cereal. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. I did, did M&M's candy. M&M's candy carnival. So, I, but I did, do, I did a lot of things. I did Sylvan Seal Milk. With Chuck Wagon Pete. Wow. I did all that stuff. Does any of that but, exist on videotape or anything anywhere? There was no videotape. No, I don't mean, but I mean, like transferred over, like film, any no, there, of those there things. Was something called Kinescope. Yeah. And I think it's long gone. And I don't know if they were, I don't believe they were even taped. Yeah, that's too bad. That, that yeah, would be, I know. I wish we could find that. Yeah, it'd be fun oh, to, to play God. some of that. Well, um, did, didn't you? Weren't you a DJ early in your career? Did you play music? Oh, only when I when I came out of the service, out of the navy. I was a naval officer, and I came out. My first job was in Pottstown, and so when you're in Pottstown, you're it. So I I did the disc jockey show. I did the news. I did the sports. I put on a record at six o'clock at night and put the needle on the turntable and drove to the little league field. And when I got there, I plugged in the microphone and knocked three times. And the secretary would come in and take the needle off the record. And then it would come on with the baseball, a little league baseball game. So when you're in a little teeny radio station, you do everything. But wow. I was never, you know, you know, I was never going to be a disc jockey. It's not too late. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, this, this is what I, you know, I mean, when I was eight, nine, and ten, I was going to be the quarterback of the Eagles. That's what I was going to be. That was my dream. But at five, eight, and 140 pounds, it wasn't going to happen. But I, but that was, that was my, I mean, I was the kid who went to bed 
and the Phillies are out on the West Coast playing the Dodgers, and I'm in bed sneaking my transistor radio under my pillow, and my parents thought I was asleep, but I was up listening to the game until 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they had trouble getting me up for school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved those West Coast games when oh, I was a kid. Was Just it? To, yeah. Yeah, reason to, reason to stay up till 2.30 in the morning. Can't but beat I, it. But, I, but this is what I want. I mean, this, man, I, I, my, my hero was Bill Campbell. I love Bill Campbell. Yeah. And then Bill did a show at a furniture store in your station, right? <laughs> Bill became a, a wonderful friend. He really did. I was, uh, uh, I'm, I feel so lucky. I got to work with him. Um, I don't remember the name of the furniture store in, uh, I guess it's, uh, it was Langhorn, maybe. Yeah. On, on your air. We we sat among all the sofas and did did an hour of sports talk. Was, yeah, yeah, it was tremendous. I, yeah, I was, remember all that. Now, I, now Cindy and I, um, Cindy and I, and maybe one or two other people were the only non-family members at his 90th birthday party. Is that right? It was amazing. Yeah, but Bill was Bill was a great man. Great. Yeah, man. he was. Yeah, he really was. So, Merle, the next time we see you, yes, we'll be out at training camp. So we're looking 27th to... of July, right? Well, I don't know. They report on the 26th, so probably maybe a few days later. Maybe the 28th might be the yeah. first practice. That's normally yeah, whatever. Pretty typical, but <laughs> we're looking forward to it. You have any big summer plans? I'm guessing you're gonna be golfing quite a bit. Yeah, I'm gonna be golfing quite a bit. I've I've got uh, I've got the next three days all lined up. I'm playing in Ron Jaworski's tournament over at River winds on Friday, and that'll be fun. And they're honoring Dick Vermeil. In fact, if you guys want to look for football players from all over the country, you might show up at River Winds on Friday afternoon or Friday morning because it will be packed with Ron's football friends from all over the league with players and coaches. Hmm. It'll be a it'll be a nice a nice gathering. So I'm in on that. So well, but, I, but I will. You know, we used to go away a lot, but then COVID changes that. Yeah. And uh, I really haven't traveled that much. But uh, Cynthia and I both do play golf, so that's good. Well, don't you miss tennis, though? Ruben, I do miss tennis. But don't forget, when I was in college, I played six hours a day. And I played for years. So by the time I was in my early 50s, I played a tournament. And then we were flying to London for a game. And halfway across the Atlantic, my left knee blew up. And Vince DiStefano said, you're going to have an MRI when we get back. And I had torn cartilage. And he did an arthroscopy, and I was back on the courts in six weeks. And then the next year, Art Bartolozzi was the doctor, and the same thing happened to my right knee. And he said um, he, he did the same thing to my right knee. And six weeks later, I was ready to go. And then he said, but listen. Unless you want knee replacement, he said, I'd, I'd play doubles. And I played a little doubles, but it wasn't the same. And then I said to Cindy, get me a set of golf clubs. I'll take three lessons so I don't embarrass myself at these charity scrambles. And uh, I took three lessons and four and five and got hooked. And I have totally fallen in love with the game. So, you know, every now and then I'll have a dream that I'm on the tennis court. And I'll wake up and I say, but I can't run. But but you know what? I didn't need a knee replacement. My knees don't hurt me. 
except but they're a little stiff when I go down steps. But I feel great, and I can walk on the golf course and get plenty of action, uh, uh, plenty of uh, exercise, and I it's 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 filled the filled the void quite well. But I do miss parts of it, of course. Okay. That's, That's what good. I need to hear. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll hit them straight this summer, Merrill. We'll see you at training camp, and, and thanks wait. for your time. Thank you. You guys do a great job. I enjoy watching your podcast and the things you do on a daily basis, and uh, you bring a lot of integrity and a lot of knowledge to this profession. So thank you for having me on. It's been my pleasure. I oh, appreciate that. Thank you, Merrill. See you soon. Always enjoy talking with Merrill. Yeah, I have a feeling he could tell stories for like, I mean, we could be here for 24 hours listening to Merrill's I mean, stories. 45 years, you're going to have a few stories. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And he's the dean of all NFL broadcasters, play-by-play guys. I wonder if there's anybody in any other sport that's been doing it longer. I mean, he's an all-timer. Yeah, no, he absolutely is. Uh, you know what I still appreciate so much about him is we were at OTAs not that long ago. He's out there. He's there and he's he's at the interviews. He wants to meet the players coming off the podium. I mean, he you could mail it in at this point, you know, if you're Merrill Reese. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. And he's he's out there at practice. Uh, he, he talks to the players. He asks questions. Um, you could probably get away with broadcasting the games without doing all that, but he's, he's such he could, a pro. He could show up on Sundays Yeah, at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah but I give him credit for that. Yeah. And it's like he, he wants to get to know the players, which I think is cool. Yeah. And it it lends knowledge to when he's doing the broadcast. Doesn't sound like he's going to ha- be hanging them up anytime soon. He's got so much enthusiasm. I love it. Yeah, we're, we're better for it. So thank you to Merrill. We always appreciate uh, when he joins the podcast. If you enjoy the Eagle Eye podcast, please do us a favor. Rate and subscribe wherever you get your pods. If you're watching on YouTube, please click the like button. And subscribe there as well. We'll have podcasts for you throughout the summer leading up to training camp. And then we'll really hit it full bore. That'll be fun. For Ruben Frank, I'm Dave Zangaro. Take care, everyone.